You're listening to the Remorseless Podcast. This is episode number 13. Hey guys, what's up? It's Beth Fisher. Thanks for joining in this week where I am going to be interviewing one of my recent slash longtime friends. I know that's kind of an oxymoron right now, but it feels like I've known her forever. So on today's show, you're going to hear from my friend Erica Mariglia. And so she also lives in West Michigan. And one of the things that you guys know I love is to tell the stories about how I meet our guests because this crazy journey of life brings us all together in ways that we never saw coming. And really what I love, I'd say the most about scripture, but that's kind of hard. So one of the things that I really, really like about scripture is that we're called to serve the least of these. We are called to the ends of the earth. We're called to not be a-holes to people in the world that are our neighbors. And so what really that means is the stranger, right? And so think about it. Who are strangers? People that are not yet friends. So I kind of know no strangers and that is how Erica and I met. You'll hear more about that on the show. She is super interesting, incredibly passionate. Uh, she'll talk a lot about what I'm sure she'll refer to as spiritual abuse. So she will unpack her faith journey for us. She will talk about all things social justice. She's an adoptive mom. She's an incredible, incredible lady. So I'm really excited for you to hear her story. Okay, guys, settle in, buckle up, chill out, do whatever you need to do. Episode number 13. Let's go. Hey guys, it's Beth. Welcome to Remorselessly Biblical. Thank you, Life Network for Women, for continuing to have us on here and to allow us the space to share our inspiration and our journey and our struggles and all things Jesus, right? Because this is what we care about. We are a group of women who don't really have much in common except Jesus, which always is enough. And I say we don't have things in common, but that's not true. You guys know that. What I'm saying is the way that we get to God, the way that we all believe in him, the way that we go about our relationships with Jesus is different. And it should be because we are different. We are unique and beautiful and made in the image of God, but all with our own skill sets, all with our own experiences, all with our own triggers, our hurts, our forgivenesses, like the whole story. We are the body. We are a community of believers, no matter where we are in the world, no matter where you are in the world, we're in this thing together. And so I just thank you again to Life Network for Women for allowing us, again, the space to share, to share our love of Jesus. And so that, that is why we're here. So thank you for tuning in. Today, I have with me on the show, one of my friends, and I've known her for, I want to say two or three years. And I hope that by now you guys know one of the things that I really enjoy, uh, people, right? <laughs> but sharing with you the way in which that... Um, our paths have crossed, how I've met the people in the course of my life, my journey that I've met. You know, we are all strangers in this world. Jesus calls us to the ends of the earth. That's the gospel message. And we're called to serve the least of these, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, right? But a stranger is just a stranger until you become friends. And so Erica and I met actually, I think now three years ago, when she used to work at the homeless shelter where I now work. 
She's no longer employed there, but we've stayed in touch and we just really hit it off. As you guys know, in the course of your journeys, you do as well. You meet somebody and, you know, God's province brings somebody into your life and you're like, I really am connecting soul to soul with this human being, the way that he or she views the world and views God and, and shares and just they have an aura, right, that you are drawn to. And that's the way I feel about Erica when she and I met. She's passionate. She's strong. She's all things social justice. She's also an adoptive mom. We'll talk about that a little bit, too. And, you know, Erica met her husband in Honduras. So they were on a missions trip. And I know that that's really what she's probably going to share the most about because that is how um, her spiritual formation came to be in a really big and important way. So again, just thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you for joining us. And here's my very good friend, Erica Mariglia. Okay, Erica, hi. Thank you for joining us today on Remorselessly Biblical. I'm so happy you're here. Yay. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Beth. Hi, yeah, thank you. And I, you know, I told our viewers that um, our listeners that we've known each other for probably about three years and, you know, kind of gave them a little bit of your backstory, but if you wouldn't mind, can you just kind of, you know, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and then I want to really specifically dive into sort of our similar, but also different faith journeys. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, my name is Erica and yeah, I grew, grew to know Beth by working at the same place. So I won't go back into all of that, but I think Beth is a powerhouse and um, I love watching her just kind of watching you. I'm going to say I love watching you do your thing. So it's really nice to kind of just tag along and, you know, be included. So um, I grew up in the church, Lutheran, and um left my small hometown of Frankenmuth, Michigan at 18. I kind of got out of there as fast as I could and uh, went to college. But then in the middle of college, I really felt um, the need to, to do some volunteering. So I went down to the mission field. Or I went into the mission field in Honduras, put in a leave of absence in school. And while I was there, um, it was initially supposed to be two months then it turned into six months, then it turned into seven years, um, where I spent a lot of time working with gang members and prisons and helping develop a, a bilingual Christian school. And there I met my husband and we chose to move back to Michigan. Um, and we'll get more into that part and why we chose to move. Um, but yeah, once we got back here in the Grand Rapids, I wanted to stick with, you know, the people I knew, the people I was comfortable with. And, you know, those are technically what most people would consider the marginalized and um, people who don't have the, the perfect stories, right? So I was blessed to be able to work, you know, with um, the homeless population and in the jail with, with women who had been prostituted and, um, you know, just with various addictions and things like that. So I guess... Um, the biggest part of my story and something that has really defined me um, is being in proximity to people who are incredibly different from me, who don't have a story like I have. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I'm now at a point where I get to kind of tie all of that into who I am and speak on behalf of these individuals who have really helped change my life and um, transform my life and my view of the world and, and all of that. And um you know, while I was working at Maltrotter, right before you came on, I started in seminary where I graduated with just, 
you know, May of 2020 with my master's in ministry leadership. Um, and I'm just incredibly passionate about healthy ministry and healthy leadership and what that looks like and how that's fleshed out. And, you know, kind of brings me to where I am now, which is what's next. But, you know, at the same time, just prayerfully kind of trying to, you know, see what God has in store and how I can take all of my experiences and education and kind of tie them together. So, yeah, and I heard you say um, sort of healthy leadership and and that whole experience. So when you grew up in the Lutheran tradition, yep. did you and I know you're really inquisitive, like you're always asking why and, and just you know, behind the scenes sort of trying to understand everything. When you were a little girl and you were going to church, did anything seem you know, wrong to you? Or did you have questions that maybe you weren't allowed to voice? Or like, what was that growing up in such, you know, a liturgical church? What did that feel like to you when you were very young? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if when I was really young, if I questioned much about the Lutheran church specifically, but I was always drawn to different people groups and just like my dad would laugh at me because I'd be watching like sister act and things like that and be like I can't wait to be in a Baptist church and you know worshiping with all my black brothers and sisters and um so you know we would go over to Bridgeport which is right by Saginaw and you know I my grandparents lived there and um my mom would never want me to go outside to play because it was dangerous and there were people with guns outside and things like that and I was like are you kidding me these are the very people I need to go hang out with and um just I always for some reason had a mindset that was just like I need to know more why can't I do this why can't I do that and um you know, it wasn't probably until college, high school, college, where I really started to kind of think about, you know, just the different denominations and things like that. And unfortunately, it kind of drove my family crazy because while I would attend Lutheran church with them when I was home and things like that, I would also be experiencing or experimenting with other churches. And um, yeah, unfortunately, my family, especially my grandparents, are very much still into the Lutheran church, and they just can't understand why I've branched out some. So I don't know if that answers the question. but yeah, No, it does. And I think that you draw a really good point about generational differences. Um, yeah. You know, I grew up Catholic, which is not all that different than, than uh, the Lutheran tradition. But my generations of Italian and Irish Catholics... You know, it's like they just didn't want to hear anything else. And so when I would bring questions to them in a very similar way, it's like they just shut them down. Not not because they wanted to be disrespectful or think that my questions weren't valid, but because they just didn't have answers because they were right. so right here. And diversity wasn't a thing when they were growing up. In fact, it was the opposite. And so I think my question, my biggest question to you as I listen to you is when you were like experimenting with different religions and going to different churches and college and so forth, you would come home. Did that change your relationship with God at all or your view of God when you were in different faith traditions? Yes. And I don't know if you want me to expand Love to know. more into that. But, you know, outside of college, it really kind of happened in Honduras where I was part of, you know, first and foremost, Hispanic uh, church and religion is just so much different. You've got the Catholic church, but then you've got the non-denominational for the most part. Right. And um 
just being in a culture where you had to rely on God. Like you literally went to church and like the praise was different. The preaching was different. Everything was different just because, you know, God, I need you. I need you to come through. I got to pay my water bill. Right. I need you to come through. I don't have food on the table for tomorrow for my family. And so like you would hear and feel this hunger in the, in the environment. And I mean, worship could go on for hours and, you know, here we're like Lutheran church. It's, we've been here 59 minutes. I got to walk out, you know? Um, and so just kind of experiencing that hunger and, you know, it's not, I just got to fit God into a box. It's more like, God, you are my everything. And I'm dependent on you for everything was so life-changing for me. And even being on the mission field and living off of donations, I experienced that myself, you know, where, what am I going to do? I got five bucks in the bank account, you know? And, um, just watching God come through with, I remember one time a thousand bucks just showed up and literally no idea where it came from, how it got there. And just like, I'm sitting there like, but God, right. And coming back to America after that, it was like torture. I mean, literally torture. I still kind of feel that way. (laughs) I've been back here almost seven years, like trying to find a church where I get to go in. And it's just like, I can't, I can't leave until I experience this presence. Right. And so that, that kind of drove me in Austin to, uh, try various denominations. And, you know, I was in the urban cohort program in seminary. So I was the minority again. Um, and just got really involved in the Kojic church. So, um, very, African-American, you know, as the foundation. And I loved it when it came to the worship. It was again, like, we're not allowed to preach until we have pulled the presence of God down, you know? And, um, yeah, I've just learned so much through the different denominations and, you know, how they experience God, talk about God. And, um, I've kind of come to the conclusion, the different denominations kind of drive me nuts, you know what I'm saying? Um, and why we're so divided, but I, I can't even still today be a part of a church where it's like, I'm here for everything. Like, and yeah, I still really, really, really struggle with that in, in our culture. Did you, yeah. Did you find when you were experiencing, um, those just different ways to worship. I went to, um, I think I told you Nicaragua on a couple of missions trips and it was the same way. I mean, people were just the, this entire open air church. It's nothing like what we know, you know, in the Western church. And so for me, it was eye opening. And at first I felt like, is this okay? I, what I'd never experienced it. And I thought my Catholic body my I, I was like in physical almost pain I was looking around like waiting for somebody to get stri- stricken down or whatever and I just thought god, is God okay with this and then once I realized he's more okay with this because it's just this authentic way of showing love relational love not like I have to sit here and feel guilty it's just this embrace like sort of inclusion and that was my question to you is my question to you did you feel like the people that were surrounding you in those churches were more inclusive than we have here? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, 
obviously there's issues. It doesn't matter what church you're in, right. of course, you know. And so I was extremely embraced. Um, but there, I mean, I guess it's the same here too. It's it's you got your upper class and you got your lower class. There's no middle class or very few, right? And so the upper class, unfortunately, were um you go to church with the upper class and I'm just a little bit more uppity, right? Um, they weren't my people. <laughs> I can I can tell you that right now. Just um, but then you've got the lower class and they were just I don't know. I mean, of course there's always the form of judgment which sucks in church, but um, you know, it was just like if you're broken, you're broken. You know, come experience, be, you know. Yeah, that's it. And so when you were in Honduras, can you take us through a little bit about how, you know, your your view of God and your view of worship and your your trust of people, just how it all kind of came to, because you, like you said, you went to go there for a short amount of time and ended up staying seven years. What was, yes. that, what was that time period like for you there? Yeah, so I went down originally in my early 20s. So I was obviously very impressionable. I was running from a lot of stuff up here in the States. You know, I wasn't living what we would call a godly life and all of that. And I was like, I gotta go. I gotta do something. I'm pretty extreme like that. And um, after a couple of months down there, you know, they really just started talking about topics of forgiveness and forgiving myself for my past and, and all of that fun stuff. And I felt really embraced and Um, I was, I was embraced. I was, you know, loved and believed in, and they saw things in me such as like my leadership skills and things like that and speaking skills. And so they put me in different positions to where I grew. And I really appreciate that. I will never um, speak badly when it comes to those things. And, you know, what I'm about to say, a lot of people don't talk about these things. So take it with a grain of salt. And I'm only slowly starting to learn to talk about it publicly. But, um, you know, there was seven years is a long time. And I was able to experience quite a bit and a progression from what kind of felt like healthy ministry and healthy leadership and um, watched it just really turn incredibly toxic and abusive even, if I can say that. And at the time, I honestly couldn't see it. I was so enmeshed in all of it. I lived with the pastors and the leaders. I was mentored by the pastors and leaders. They were my bosses. They were my counselors. I mean, just everything. It was incredibly enmeshed relationship. And so come my husband, Austin, and he looks into what's going on and he's like, there's something off here. Like there's something incredibly wrong with, with what's going on. And they just have so much control over you. And I was like, what? I'm so confused. No way. People don't control Erica. And, um, you know, it, it took us literally having to decide to leave and get married because, um, we had been living for about a year just under scrutiny and major control and manipulation. And I was moved around seven different times within one year time period, just back and forth and back and forth. Just, we want to rein Erica in or we're going to push her away. We're going to rein her in. We're going to push her away. And like during this time, I had no idea I was experiencing, um, what you would call spiritual abuse now. Um, and when I came back to the States, I was, 
so lost, freshly married, and just left a country we never thought we'd leave. We were in the process of trying to adopt a baby down there, buy a house, and or rent a house, and um, our our game plan was to stay. But once it got to the point it had gotten, Austin was like, we got to go. We have to go. And um, I chose to trust him in that moment. And we left. We set a date. We left and um, came back here. And something was just wrong mentally. Like, to be honest, I didn't have the language then, but I can now say that I was experiencing and diagnosed with symptoms of PTSD and, you know, had to learn the language of trauma and, and all of that. And not trauma just from the abuse, but I was working in with gang members and in prison and had witnessed death and things like that, like really hard things. And my brain was not able to process all of it. It was just crazy. And I started seeing a counselor and she, she was like, you've just spent years experiencing spiritual abuse. And I was like, what? That's even a thing, you know? And it set me on this path that was just so hungry to learn what that meant and what that looked like and how um, to prevent it and how to walk alongside people who have been spiritually abused. Um, And yeah, I'm still in the process now, seven years later of working through it. So yeah. yeah, that was long-winded, but hopefully it answered your question. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I know I know it's hard, right? And and oftentimes when we go through such life-shaping um, events that, like you said, when we're in them, we don't necessarily know what we're experiencing. It takes something to pull us out of our experiences and then to be able to say, okay, I've healed from that. I've deconstructed those things. I have retrospect. I have people alongside me who are helping me process all of that. Um, until you can look back with clarity and say, wow, I did not know that's what was happening to me. And the thing is, I'm always mostly curious. I think the most curious about when we're in those seasons of life, you know, Ecclesiastes is all about seasons, right? For Uh every season. But I'm always the most curious to see what other people's experiences are um, with God in those times. Because for me, when I was going through all sorts of my own, you know, trauma and relational trauma and bad decisions and everything in my life that really led me to guilt and shame, um, I pulled away from God because I thought God hated me, was perpetually was mad at me. Like there was, there was no, no amount of Hail Marys I could say. There was no amount of apology. There was no amount of prayer in my mind that could make up for all the terrible sinner things that I had done. And so that's the message that I got in church. And again, it's not, it's not to, to bash the church. What it is is to say that's what my ears and the way that I'm wired heard it. And I think there's so many people out there that, that do the same thing, that feel the same sort of rejection. And that's not the story of God. The story of God is infinite, infinite love that we can't even understand how great is his faithfulness and mercy and forgiveness and all of the things that we don't think we're worthy of because we've gone through these physical, um, human abuses, you know? So what did that do for you? That's my question. What did it do for you maybe then or thereafter in terms of your view or relationship with God? Yeah. I mean, hindsight is 2020, right? So, um, looking back now, I can see first and foremost, I put leaders on the leaders that I was serving on this pedestal and, 
you know, it had even been spoken to me, go through me to get to God sometimes. And like, um, it kind of came to where I had witnessed and seen things that were obviously not biblical or okay. And yeah, I chose to kind of follow the leader rather than God. And I don't know if that makes sense, but coming back and kind of looking into it or looking at it from a different lens now, I was so freaking angry. Like anger was just, I mean, always there. And, you know, I had no idea where to take it out, how to take it out. And unfortunately, there was a season where I was just like, God, I have nobody else to blame. So I'm going to blame you. Like, and, um, you know, never had I necessarily left the face or anything. Um, But there was definitely a season where I just could not stop asking why, like, why, 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 you know, I've, I'm a little older now, but at that point it was like, I'd almost given my entire adult life to serve in a ministry setting. And I'm coming back with freaking mental health issues, you know, and that was a hard pill to swallow, you know, God, I said, I'd serve you and all this stuff. Right. Why? And unfortunately I've heard so many stories like this, people who kind of go and get involved in ministries that aren't necessarily led in a healthy manner and, um, have their own mental health and even addiction issues because of how they're kind of processing and and coping and things like that. And so, um, forgiveness was a really hard one for me and I was still kind of processing through some of that. Um, as you know, you work away the onion and there's, oh my gosh, still so more to forgive. But, you know, I can look at it now and be like, he's the one that carried me all the way through it too, you know? So, um, in the moment, yeah, it wasn't pretty. It was pretty messy. And yeah. What's, what's your advice for people that are in the mission field, on the mission field, in ministry work that maybe are wondering, is this happening to me or am I viewing this? Like what, what's your just advice for getting through seasons like that when they're in it? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you're questioning it, you're probably experiencing it. Um, just if it even hits a nerve, like, huh, am I in the process? Am, am I being abused? I mean, literally all you have to ask is, is the leader that I look up to in ministry or my pastor or, or whoever, um, are they attempting to control or manipulate me in any capacity? And that's the easiest way to describe spiritual abuse. Um, using the word to, to, um, diminish, to demean, to control, to manipulate, you know, all of the horrid things that it's not meant for. And so um, kind of just sitting there and being able to process, do I have control over my life? Is my voice heard? Mm. Right? Is my opinion, does my opinion matter? Or is it just shut up? I'm the one who knows all the answers. Mm. Right? And so, um, and then, you know, if there's even a tiny inkling that you might be experiencing it reach out to somebody you know that's not in that leadership pool or whatever you know what's interesting is i hear hear you say that and it can honestly be taken that advice and those situations into any construct right school schools or anywhere where there's um 
leadership or superiority or, you know, hierarchical structure. And the thing is, like you said, you didn't have the language. When we are kids, we don't have the agency, the understanding, the experiential knowledge. We just don't have it because we're going through life looking at people who are older than we are in leadership positions, sometimes, you know, in the faith, wearing a cloth, right? All the things. And we don't question because we're not necessarily always told that we're allowed to, especially I think as females. Yes. We are told to sort of be there, um, be polite, be demure, don't question things. And it just is this way. And when our brains don't process like that, or we don't accept that, I I got mad at God. I, I was like, God, why aren't you here with me Fixing me, help allowing me, like or fixing them, right? Or fixing them. Right. Say, why? Why are you not listening to her? Or at least, I'm, I probably wasn't right, but I felt dehumanized. I felt mm-hmm. like God did not love me because I felt like I didn't matter. So that is why yeah. right now, at this point in my life, at age almost fifty, I care so much about saying to people every day, "You matter. We all matter." Whether it's the people in jail that you minister to, that we've you know gone into right? The marginalized populations in the world. It doesn't matter who, what, where. It matters that we are all made in God's image. Yes, And, and that's it. Like that is the, the period to that sentence. It doesn't matter what any of us have done. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what denomination we've grown up in. It matters that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're like, okay, you know what? You matter. I matter. What can I do for you to help your journey be a little lighter? And how can I help you heal? And maybe this reciprocity, right, in relationship. Um, so it's not transactional. It's basically collaboration. Yeah. A, a love story. So for me, I just, I continue to learn as I listen to you. And I think, what must that have felt like? And I think that that's one of the, I mean, there are, as we know, awful abuses in this yeah. time. But for me, that one has always been one of the hardest ones to reconcile. Because yeah. at the top of that hierarchy is God. And, yes. and we know that, that he, God, does not function like humans function. But our brains sometimes don't understand that. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing all that. I know it's not been an easy journey. I hope that um, some of our listeners are encouraged by that because, you know, they are all around the world. And yes. religion does not look the same all around the world. Our God is unchanging, right? But yes. the way that we approach them is, is very different. So thank you for sharing that. And before we go, I want to ask you the four questions I leave all of our guests with. Yes, Ready? Please. Okay. Yes. Number one, how do you define God? Wow. I don't know why I was stumped by this question. I was like, huh, I feel like this changes on a daily basis. But um, I guess what's in my spirit today is I just kind of woke up and was listening to a song called a story I'll tell and just being able to walk through hardships of life. And, um, it ends with, you're the God that is worthy of all praises. And I guess I'm just in a season of my life and I'm sure many of us have experienced this to a degree with the pandemic and everything where I'm just incredibly humbled and living in just this really humble state of, knowing that I have a God who has covered so much of my human error in these last months, years. And if you hear my baby in the background crying, I'm really sorry. But, you know, there he is. Um, I'll get him when we're done. And um, I just can't stop saying he's the God that's worthy of all praises. Like, when I can't, he can. Yeah. 
that I love it. When I can't, you can, you can do all things. Yeah. Thank you. That's an amazing definition. And I, I obviously I think we've already answered this one, but my question always number two is what is the most difficult decision you've had to make so far on your journey? Is it to leave? Yeah. Is that it? Oh yeah. I'll, I can, I can settle there. And then I think, you know, I'm going to probably quote Brene Brown here, but owning my story and all that comes with it as, as you experience trauma and church life and all that stuff, you know, owning your story and all that comes with it is not an easy task. No, but you've done it well. So thank you. And then number three, remorseless means without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. At what point in your life did you do something so wrong? Or at least you were sort of conditioned to think that it was so wrong um, that it, it might have left you stuck on your journey or living as somebody that you're truly not like an imposter version of yourself. Yeah, I'd say um, this is kind of broad, but I can even narrow it back down to Honduras and leaving is um, <clears throat> just not speaking out where I should speak out. Right. So, um, I was always taught, you don't question leadership, you honor leadership and things like that. And I agree with that to a degree. I mean, you do honor leadership and healthy leadership anyways. And, um, speaking out about the abuses I've endured is just a big no, no for many. And, but me not speaking out about it is not living true to who I am and not true to my story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And last question, the one authentic word that you would use to describe yourself today. I'm going to say capable and just, yeah. Capable is a big one for me right now. Just, I'm so sorry about that guys. (laughs) But Uh, you're capable of going to get Isaiah. He is, he's awesome. He's with his mama. So Erica, thank you for sharing everything. And thank you to our viewers and listeners for tuning in to Remorsely Biblical. And as a reminder, just continue to show up on your journey every day without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing, and know that we serve a God who loves you unconditionally. Okay, until next week, you guys. Peace. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Erica as much as I did. I know this is a tough topic, spiritual abuse. The word itself just doesn't sound very great, right? It sounds kind of harsh because it is. And one of the things that we always have to realize is that the narratives that we were told as we grew up, the stories about God, the way that we were sort of just shown and told was the only way to get to God is not always true. So if we want to be in an authentic, real, loving relationship with Him today, we've got to go back and traverse those really difficult roads behind us to say, I don't know if I believe everything I was taught. It's okay to question. God is big enough to handle the questions and we are big enough and meaningful enough and worthy enough to ask them. So I just encourage you to do that. Thank you for continuing to tune in to the Remorseless Podcast. Thank you for continuing to question and ask those really hard questions. And I know you guys are all doing that. So I just thank you for doing it every week with me here. And I wanna remind you, you can go to my website, bethfisher.com check out coaching and speaking and other ways to connect with me. And again, I just remind you to be remorseless on your own journeys and to keep showing up. Okay. I'll see you guys next week.